The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Podcast Network. I am Kyle Brown. I'm here with my friend Joe Drake. How you doing, Joe? I'm pretty good, Kyle. How's it going tonight, man? Man, I've had a day. I, I started off with blueberry pancakes. I uh, squeezed in 18 holes, a couple of pars, a couple of decent putts out there. Watched a little Minnesota Twins versus the the old Baltimore Orioles today, you know, trying to catch up on some of that spring training stuff. But, uh, but yeah, man, how uh, I feel like all of those things are wonderful. I finished off with pulled pork yeah. and I, I did a little homemade barbecue sauce. And frankly, I'd give all that up to have been at spring training games today. So tell me, <laughs> tell me how your life is, sir. She's not, I mean, not quite as good as that. It's a hell of a day right there. Jeez. Uh, hey, when you're watching the twins, were they home or away? Oh, I was cooking that pulled pork at the time. I want to say they were home. If they're home, they're five minutes from where I, I live, which is pretty nice. Man. Pretty See, excited about that. I love, I love a good old uh, ham stadium here. Yeah, you are fresh out of the, of the northeast snow and into the, the southeastern sunshine of Florida. I am uh, beyond jealous of that. I'm actually, as much as I did get a little golfing today, I'm supposed to get a, a snowstorm in Colorado that might, <laughs> uh, might be five feet. This is what they say. I saw that. I saw that. And I was like really happy to be in Florida right now. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I was happy to get in this round. I was like, I'll shoot 150. If it means I can be out here for a couple hours longer. I don't really care. Absolutely. And I have heard tales of snowstorms like this though, that end up being three inches and you know, nothing. Oh yeah. Whole lot of nothing, but uh, everyone gets all geared up, checking the news, checking the weather. Everyone becomes a, you know, a weather person right before oh, something they, like gotta, this happens. You got to clean out the, uh, the bread and the milk from the, uh, the local grocery store too. Yeah. That's well, luckily, classic. luckily since the pandemic started, I have uh, roughly 90 pounds of rice on hand at all times because I, I did a little bit of that panic buying early on and I'm still eating some of that, you know, what can I say? <laughs> well, at least your rice is going to last. So that oh yeah. Good. I got, I got, I got fried rice whenever I want it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, man. I, uh, well, before I get into it, I just want to let you all know that you can catch Joe Drake over at Prospects Live. 
the prospects live hoodie that I'm wearing is not going to be something none of any of you can see, but um, it was intentional. It was intentional. <laughs> and yeah, uh, he's doing some amazing work over there. He's helping produce all of their reports that they are putting out on all the teams that are giving real scouting reports that are pretty in depth. Uh, if you want to hear Joe write about, um, you know, who has the best butt in baseball, he's going to be mentioning it. <laughs> He's going to be mentioning it, but you know what? That's where a lot of power comes from. That's where a lot of power can come from. You got to know what's happening with the lower half. You can't ignore the booty. Largest muscle in the human body. Well, that's, you know, I, you learn something new every day. You learn something new every day. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I just wanted to bring you on to talk about what you have been getting eyes on because, you know, as you and I have uh, prospected over the last – I don't know. It feels like a couple of years at this point, probably more like a year and a half, but in baseball years, it feels like two. And you know, you've been a, you've been a champion of the gotta get eyes on dudes. You gotta, you gotta watch, you gotta, you know, check out your stats, check out your exit velocities, but really go to the tape, go to the video. And obviously the best thing you can do is get eyes on a player and you have, uh, you have been able to do that. And so I really was curious to, to bring you on to talk a little bit about the, well, some of the Red Sox prospects and maybe a couple other guys we can touch on. But, you know, you are also driveline certified. This is true. It's this true. is very true. I want to let everyone know that. So, so Joe knows what he's talking about. Don't look at his self videos of his own swing. That's, that's, that's not worth it. That's not worth your time. But listen to what he has to say when he's talking about swings, because the man knows what he's talking about and he studies, he studies a lot. Uh, it comes, it's a well-earned knowledge. So I guess, and I've talked about him a couple of times in this pod already, but I'm going to keep talking about him because he just keeps hitting. And I was curious, I wanted to talk about Duran Duran, my man Duran Duran. Side note, I called him Duran Duran on Twitter and an Autobot retweeted it, which apparently retweets everything that is Duran Duran. I was happy about that. All 46 of their followers. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. But he, you know, Duran Duran, he's, he's, he's destroying the ball this spring. He's hitting 500. His slugging percentage is 1182 by itself. That's not an OPS. That's just a slugging. And he is a guy that made a swing change. And I was curious, what exactly did he do? Who was he before and who has he become? And what are you thinking of his future? What, what, are, your, what are his future prospects for this season, the next season? And, and what do you see in him? Yeah. So uh, first and foremost, Duran is like terrific athlete. He's anytime he's on the field, like he's going to be a guy that you look at and you're like, that, that literally might be the best athlete in the game right now. He has like a, a lean, powerful frame. Uh, you just look at him and he just looks like he could play any sport that uh, you can come up with and probably be good at it. He's lightning fast, you know, electric speed on the base paths, and he gets pretty good bat speed and generates some pop in the swing. Coming out of college, I think he's a Long Beach State guy, um, seventh round pick for the Sox a couple of years ago. I want to say 2018, but maybe that's too recent. I'm not, not quite sure. But he's kind of a classic like West Coast college type hitter. Where he's a, like a slash and dash guy. He's super fast. And so it's kind of one of those profiles where like the coaches just tell you like, hey, put the ball on the ground and run. You know, hit line drives, hit some ground balls, shoot the ball the other way and just make guys get you out on the base pass. And hey, by the way, like Duran's a legit 70 runner. So it's hard to get him out on the base pass. When he was coming up through the minor leagues and keep in mind, like he was coming out of college and I think I want to say he was 22, 23 years old when he was drafted. 
or, or coming up in his first pro season. And so he didn't, he didn't really get challenged very much in the lower minors. He's an older dude with a, like a good hit tool. Like a lot of the pitchers down there, they either don't have the command where they can really challenge him or the stuff, like let alone the combination of the two. So he was, you know, hitting very well, but it's not like a game that necessarily would translate to a lot of value at the major league level, so to speak, just because these days you kind of have to have some power in your game to feel like a major league regular you don't see a ton of guys who hit 10 home runs that are you know starting every day for teams and so coming up that's that's mostly what he was kind of looking like that was the profile and so even though like his numbers were kind of eye-popping in the minor leagues if you, you kind of look at him and you're like I don't know that this translates into an everyday guy you're not quite sure what you have there so what has happened over this past winter is he worked with, I think it was you know with the Red Sox uh, player dev and what they've done is they've retooled his swing path so that he's lifting the ball a little bit more. And you, you can see, like, they really, like, reworked his stance and everything because his hands are now – you can't see my hands here on the video, but pull them up. If you can pull up a spring game, you'll see his hands sit, like, way down at his waist now. And so it's a, it's a drastic change in the setup, which I assume has helped him, you know, just kind of materialize, like, bring that swing path into – make it easier for him. You know what I mean? Just to get into those positions. Sometimes, you know, we, we've talked about this before, like sometimes guys change their setup, but it doesn't really change anything for their swing because they still move the same way. Um, but th- this is something for Duran that has been a, a definite change. And you can see it in the, like the batted ball profile. Like you, if you've seen him, uh, the highlights from over the winter, he was launching balls. I think he was done. In, I think he was in the Puerto Rican, uh, Puerto Rican winter league, but he was just launching balls left and right. And he's coming to spring training and he's, he's still hitting uh, solid contact here too. So yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of morphed himself from more of a line drive ground ball, shoot the opposite way and, you know, run type of hitter to now he's a legit power threat. Um, and that's exciting because even when he doesn't hit the ball over the wall, this is a guy who can hit the ball deep into the outfield and just run. And he's going to rack up doubles and triples, especially out in Fenway. If he puts it out into the Bermuda Triangle out there, this dude's just going to run on people and it's, he's going to rack up bases. So Yeah. That's, that's sort of what I was, what I was thinking about um, is that, you know, having him hit in Fenway, he's, there's a lot of space to work with and there's that short porch to work with as well for his sort of newfound power. And what, when you, when you look at those changes, when you look at what he's done in the recent history, in recent history, granted, it's not necessarily at, at the affiliated level uh, and it's certainly not in the major leagues, but how much has this accelerated his timeline? And do you expect him to be an impact bat this year for the Red Sox? Oh, I don't know if it's accelerated his timeline or not. I think I would say, more of like the Red Sox letting JPJ go and just kind of looking at what their like competitive timeline is probably going to drive his the most. I would expect him to be up this year, especially if he's hitting well. We'll see if they want to play service time games with him, but he's already kind of an older guy because he's coming out of college. Not that he's old, old, but I think he's mid twenties and not early twenties, um, maybe 24, 25. So I would expect him to debut this year as long as, he goes to, I, I assume they'll start him at AAA. As long as he produces there, I would imagine he'll be up before the end of the summer. Yeah, so it's really tough to say because I know, I'm just not quite sure what the Red Sox have in mind as far as like what they want to do with 
this season, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, it's it's tricky because you expect the Red Sox to not necessarily be be playing the long game that other franchises who are in rebuild or retool might be playing. You know, you sort of expect them to to be a little bit well, to be a little bit frankly impatient with uh, living in the basement or living in the bottom half or living in a world where they're not making the playoffs with the with the Yankees and the and the Rays and the upstart Blue Jays. Um, sorry, Baltimore. It's going to be some time before I mention you in that breath, but you'll get there. You'll get there. A lot of good stuff happening in Baltimore. And so when you, when you're looking at, you know, when, cause this, you know, we, we try to focus in on the dynasty players and give them as much insight as we can. Are you looking at Duran as a 2020 threat? Not in terms, in terms of, yeah, in terms of speed and that speed and power output. Yeah, I would say so. I definitely think there's 20 homer pop in the bat. Assuming this, you know, swing path sticks and he's still able to make contact like at the rate that they, they want him to, so to speak. Yeah. I think that the power is the only question there. The, the speed is just, he's just dynamic on the base paths um, and a, a pretty good base dealer as it is. So that, that, that'll depend on team philosophy, how much they like to run, but man, I'd be surprised as long as he, it, you know, is able to find success with this new swing path. I'd be surprised if he's not a 2020 guy. Yeah, I think peak might be like 25, but I, I really do think he's, he would settle into that high teens, low 20s. Well, it's the kind of thing that it's interesting when you hear about, you know, the slash and dash type and you hear about coaches. I mean, obviously everyone's trying to, to, to advance and, and make it further, but sort of interesting when you have guys who are being coached down that pathway, because it's really a, it really limits the amount of time that you're going to be valuable and it limits the ability for you to crack through because you're sort of trying to thread a really tiny little needle. Um, And then the speed is going to be the first thing to go when it comes to tools, sort of no matter what. And and it's always, it's, it's nice to see. Do you think that we're going to see a lot more of this, with with guys do you think that sort of the 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 stones were un uncovering or the, the the stones were looking under at the time when it comes to changing guys swing paths understanding uh how to optimize and maximize you know players efficiency is this something that you're going to see is there i guess the question is i've always been a little bit I love athleticism don't get me wrong but there's it almost at times feels like a poison apple you know, you can go down the pathway of, of athleticism and it'll never turn into baseball value. And, you know, one of the guys I'm thinking of right now for the Pirates would be Matt Gorski, who is, you know, always a power speed guy. And he, he played really well in college and is a second rounder, but he just can't actually put the bat on the ball, despite the fact that he can play every sport and he's the greatest ping pong player you've ever seen and all these things. <laughs> so, you know, I guess that's that's sort of what I'm curious about is how much how many more stories of you know this is this is a crystal ball question right but you know humor me a little bit do you feel like this is gonna we're gonna be seeing a lot more and more of this and do you think we're gonna start seeing it you know even earlier sort of at the college level with you know with the the analytics embracing that's going on when it comes to that how much how much do you expect to see when it when in the in the near future with all the new analytical tools people are playing with you know I it sounds like a cop-out, but I'm not really sure. So I, personally, I don't think Duran falls into that bucket because he was a guy who could hit. He's got very, you know, very good bat-to-ball skills. I do think like 
the strikeout rate might tick up a little bit just with a steeper swing path. Um, just the barrel is not going to be in the, long, in the zone quite as long as it was before. Um, so just, just to be clear, I don't, I don't think he falls into that bucket. But I do think that as we get more progressive with, you know, player development and things like that, I, do, I think that's a, an important topic that people are definitely interested in trying to find ways to basically teach guys how to hit and work on that hand-eye coordination and just get, get better at getting the barrel on the ball. Because, um, yeah, it'd be really exciting if we could have guys like Monty Harrison, who's a, just a premier athlete. He's unbelievable if you've never seen the guy. But, like, if he could hit, he would be just so fun to watch. And he's fun anyway. But as we've seen, like, you know, when he debuted last year, he just had a really hard time hitting major league pitching because, hey, you know, it, it is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I mean, I think that's like the most exciting frontier in baseball personally is like trying to like, you know, teach these guys who are incredible athletes to hit better, which I mean, I, I suppose you could say we've been trying to do that for the, the entire, the entirety of, you know, baseball history, but it does feel like we're potentially, you know, getting a little like making some progress down that path. It almost, it also feels like, you know, the other side of the coin is, as as hitters progress, pitchers almost seem to take two steps forward for every step forward that that hitters take. And you know, they they were already we already had a benchmark of success at thirty percent, and yeah. now it's dropping to like no two two seventy is totally fine. Actually, two fifty is totally fine. And you know, and it, it with with there isn't really correct me if I'm wrong here, but there isn't really as amazing as what's happening at, at some places like driveline and some of the hitting schools that are out there. And obviously they're, they're more totalistic than just hitting, but for what you're seeing with Rapsodo, for what you're seeing with efficient spin, for what you're seeing with seam shifted weight, for what, like for every little tool that we have found to, to help hitters, it just seems like we have five to help pitchers right now. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Have you, have you thought about, I've, I've heard recent things about moving the mound back six inches. I've heard, I've heard stuff about, Hey, maybe the, you know, the rates and barrels was talking about maybe the bases should be 85 feet. Like, you know, what's your, you got any thoughts about the, is baseball broken? Do you want to fix it? Oh man, that's a tough question. I'm not really sure. I'm just in some ways I am like very much an old school baseball purist where like, I, I love a good, you know, pitcher's duel and like, you know, shut up, dual shutouts going into the ninth and whatnot. It's fun. I'm on the edge of my seat. But I, I totally respect the fact that not everybody likes that. And then on the other flip side, like not everybody likes the, the home runs flying out of the ballpark left and right, two or three in inning. Some people do want to see the, like, you know, seeing eye single squeaking through and the guy like booking it from second and rounding third and a play at the plate. That's a quick plug for college baseball. That's one of the most fun things about college baseball is you'll find pretty much any style of baseball you're looking for. So I don't know that I personally feel like baseball is broken. But I do think we're, I mean, we've kind of trended into a, a, a very extreme version of the sport right now where everything is strikeout and home run oriented. So I can definitely understand wanting to try to come back to the middle a little bit and find some, find some balance within the sport. Because, hey, I mean, balls and play are fun. Everybody likes to see a diving catch and, you know, remarkable throws and things like that. I'm a big proponent of defense and that, so that totally – you know, that vibes for me too. There's a reason I'm a big Harrison Bader fan. 
Indeed. I can, I can echo uh, your perspective there on college baseball because I've really tried to be getting a lot more into college baseball just because I'm ravenous for it. And, you know, spring training, if I'm not there, right. Like you, and I'm actually seeing stuff and I'm at the ball game and, and that's, that's just sublime, but college baseball, you got teams of, of players that are just dying to play, dying to give every single ounce of energy they have future be damned. And it's, it was really interesting. You know, I started watching and I started watching some of the elite programs and then it's like later on at night. And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. This game is on toss it on. I don't even know who you are. I've never heard of this college before. And it's, and I, I don't, this isn't a, this isn't a recommendation that we put less skilled, you know, players onto the field for the sake of randomness, but it was, it was amazing to watch baseball where every single fly ball wasn't just a guaranteed outcome. Every single, I mean, every single ball in play period, there was, yeah. you know, you were going to have everyone trying their best and, and, and there was going to be electricity but it was just like, oh, that's a fly ball and it should be caught. And it's not. And now everything is chaos and this is incredible. And there's 50 dudes <laughs> at home plate, you know, to, to welcome this guy home. And it's, it definitely is, a, it, I, don't, I don't think baseball is broken either, other than financially speaking and, you know, with regard to how <laughs> players are treated. Um, but that's, that's a whole, other, that's whole other podcast. Yeah, I, I, I also love, you know, it reminds me a little bit of this. I used to really dislike soccer. I used to really just not be about it. And it took me playing an incredible amount of FIFA with one of my friends to understand when moments in the game were full of drama that frankly, to an outside observer that doesn't understand what's going on, it's just a guy in the corner with the ball at his feet. There's nothing, there's nothing inherently exciting about that, except you know that at any moment he can cross the ball into the, into the box and everything can happen. And so, you know, zero, zero games, one, zero games have this incredible amount of drama that is hidden to sort of the un, unskilled uh, or unlearned observer, I guess, you know, and you've been, re- I mean, you've been recently getting into soccer. How's that been? I, mean, do you, was I was going to say, I've had the same journey and same experience. I used to look at soccer and just not quite understand. And I'd l- I grew up playing soccer as a little kid, you know, um, I didn't play, I, I mean, God, I played probably every sport under the sun growing up. Um, but like I played soccer and no, I wasn't very good at it, but like, I never really understood the game at the top level. Like as I grew up and fell in love with sports, soccer wasn't something that I just, I didn't, I didn't understand the appeal, um, as much, but then like, I just sort of got into watching it on Saturday and Sunday mornings, watching the premier league. And then all of a sudden I found myself just as I, began to understand like just how to how everything you know comes together it was like oh my god this is really exciting and I, do, I feel like baseball has a similar type of vibe to it like if sometimes like for those who the for the uninitiated so to speak um yeah. if you're just kind of watching the game it's just like it's a little ho-hum and you're like yeah he threw the ball hard and that was cool and whatnot but like once you really kind of understand like what's going on with both like baseball and soccer um it really, I just, I can't help but be sucked in. I'm on the edge of my seat and like, oh my God, this could happen at any moment. Like it's, it is, it's, it's exciting. And I like it. It's yeah. I, funny you bring that up because I have that same exact experience. Yeah. It's, it's, it's every time I try to explain why, you know, three, two, two outs is, is interesting just sort of inherently to, to people that 
aren't familiar with it, it can be interesting. Like it can be, it can be hard to try to sell someone from zero on baseball if they don't have, you know, it in their upbringing and whatnot that, you know, that said, and maybe this is a, maybe this is a perspective that's because we're on Twitter and, you know, we can, we can call who we're seeing and we can create a little community there, but it does seem like where stats, you know, stats back in the day seemed to be something that baseball had going for it. And, and it was a, it was a way into the game for people who weren't able to watch the games. And what I'm hoping now is that all the, I mean, God, the ever-changing landscape of, of data that we have to, to mess around with allows for sort of a new wave of young people to get into the game that, you know, they want all that under the hood laser data. They want to know how fast the guy is running in the outfield. They want, you know, that that sort of level of, of knowledge about what's happening on the field brings people in. Because, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the, the cat and mouse game, the ever the ever changing cat and mouse game of, of pitching and hitting is just it's it's incredibly entertaining. Uh, and I think it's only getting better. And, you know, it's it's the devil's in the details. And I think about the one at bat recently that I think about is that Mike Brasso versus, you know, versus Roldis Chapman last year in the playoffs and how the narrative of that started several, you know, started earlier in the season. And then that 10 pitch at bat where the, you know, the foul balls just get a little bit better and a little bit better. And he's just locked in. And a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, he missed that one. It's foul ball. No one cares, but ah, the, the narrative is dripping. The narrative is dripping. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, now that we've waxed political on, on baseball and soccer for just a moment, <laughs> I, I'm curious to, to talk about a couple other guys you may have seen, because I've seen you posting some Red Sox stuff on the Twitter. And uh, you got two other Red Sox guys hitting 500 this spring, because that's what Duran Duran is hitting. But, um, and I'm down on one and I'm high on the other one. So I'm curious what you have seen and what you feel about these guys. I've talked about one before, but yeah, I'm, I'm here to ask you questions. So what are your general takes on Bobby Dalbeck? And then we'll get to Jeter Downs after that. All right. Yeah. Dalbeck is another guy that I actually wrote up for prospects live. So this, this works very well for me. Um, and I honestly going into it, I wasn't super excited about Bobby. I knew that he could mash and I kind of thought that that was the only part of his game that really was major league caliber. Um, and I'm happy to tell you that I was wrong. Um, I came away feeling that like Dalbeck is a better hitter than I gave him credit for. I thought that he has issues recognizing spin out of the hand. And so sometimes he will chase, you know, breaking balls out of the zone and sometimes off speed, but that was, a, that's about it. Um, he, I thought he had pretty good control of the zone. He's going to walk a good amount. Um, and the dude can barrel things up in the zone. And when he barrels things up, as you've seen, he hits them pretty hard and they go pretty far. <laughs> I had the pleasure of watching Mr. Dahlbeck deposit two line drive home runs into the right center field stands at a uh, Hammond stadium down here in Fort Myers last week. Um, and that was exciting. He, he's an exciting player from the standpoint that any pitch that, you know, is delivered to him can end up in the stands. He's got double plus like raw power. And I think it's going to find its way in the games somewhere probably around like above average, like anywhere between 50 and 60, depending on where that hit tool settles in. Um, if he can, I mean, I think if he can, you know, maximize where his like 
pitch recognition settles in and the bat to ball skills. I mean, I, I still don't think we'd see him get to 70 game power, but probably around 60, something like that. But that's like a, that's a little bit pie in the sky. Yeah. He's, he's more athletic than I thought as well. Um, I do think that he could probably play a, a decent major league third base. There's probably always going to be a guy in the org that's a little bit better, um, which probably shifts him to first base, but I do think he's a major league caliber fielder as well. So he's, he's a solid, like he's not fast, but he's, he's kind of quick and athletic a little bit. Um, he's, he's never going to play in the middle infield, but for a corner, uh, a, a corner fielder, like he's, he's okay. And he, Shows like decent enough instincts. I thought that maybe he could pass in left field, but I really think the range might be pretty limited. But if you look at Fenway, there's not a lot of outfield to cover, you know, to cover in left field. So we could see, but that's more of like a, uh, we're in a pinch and we need to throw somebody out there. And we really want Bobby's bat to line up. So I wouldn't expect to see him out there, but yeah, I think he's just, he's a better athlete than he gets credit for. And he's a, he was a better hitter than I expected him to be. I think he could. I think he's going to be a a major league regular. Um, so he'll be in the lineup pretty much every day. I think once he kind of like breaks through and cements himself there. I think he's a he's a good example of you know trying to see more than just the stat line, which I know is a is a big thing for you. And and this I, I want to you know continue to to make a huge thing for myself. Because it's, you know, you see the you see the strikeout totals, which are large. There, you know, he strikes out a lot, and you see the walk totals, which are also very high. He's he's very good at knowing what he's trying to attack, and he gets enough of the of the balls that he's swinging at to you know do a lot of damage. But what's interesting is that you know those strikeouts, sort of like things you've you've mentioned here, those strikeouts aren't necessarily all swing and miss. You know, those strikeouts are a part of the plan and a part of the approach to get to his best version of himself as a hitter. And if that comes with a 35% strikeout rate and a 15% walk rate and 40 home runs, all right, that's fine. You know, we got Adam Dunn. You know, we got we got we got an Adam Dunn type of guy again. And Adam Dunn hit 400 home runs. So, you know, that's. He did. I love Adam Dunn. (laughs) Adam Dunn is great. I love looking at a stat line. That's just like, as if someone wrote it in because he just had 40 home runs exactly for, I think six or seven years in a row. Yeah. Almost like he just wanted to quit. Um, Like, (laughs) no, I'm good. Yeah. I hit my 40. These next five days I'm done. Yeah. So Dahlbeck's one that's interesting to me because he's a guy that I just, you know, when I was, uh, when I was trying when I really just lived on the stat line, and I would look for, for average and contact percentage and on base percentage as well. But I really just abhor strikeouts. It's something that I can't really deal with uh, mentally, which is I'm trying to change, trying to, trying to grow as a person, an analyst, a fantasy player, um, all those things. So, you know, but, you know, that sort of brings me to my, my next guy a little bit, Jeter Downs. Do you have uh, any strong opinions on Jeter Downs? He's also having a great spring. He's also sort of similar in terms of, what are the Red Sox going to do? I wish we knew, but a lot of people are talking about him coming up this year and, you know, he hasn't done too much damage at, at, you know, the AAA level at all. And so there's, there's some questions there and he's not a perfect profile. He's not a 60 hit 60 power type of guy, but what's, you know, what's your general takeaway on Jeter Downs and what do you expect from him in terms of peak output and, and timeline? Yeah. I think Jeter's another guy similar to Duran who could probably be up this year. I think he's the, 
best overall player of the trio. He's going to play up the middle. Um, he could probably stick at shortstop, but for the Red Sox, especially, he's going to slide over to second base, I would imagine. Um, and he's, he's just a very good hitter. Uh, I can't quote. Let me see who wrote up the report for downs. I think that was Ralph. Um, and he put a, both a 55 on the hit and the power. And that's, that's, I mean, that's a pretty impressive grade for that, um, especially for an up the middle hitter. So, I mean, you've got a guy who provides a very quality bat at one of the most valuable defensive positions on the diamond. So that, that alone is just going to be, you know, that bodes very well for his future. I would expect him to be up this year, at least with a cup of coffee. I think they're, because I think the, what the Red Sox will end up doing this year is they'll, I don't think they're going to try and compete that much. I, they're not, they're certainly, well, <laughs> we don't know what they're going to say out loud, but I would imagine they don't say that we're not going to compete out loud. But as we've seen with the Mariners lately, you never know what's going to come out of these guys' mouths. So I would assume that they're going to see what he does in AAA and see how well he hits. And if he forces their hand, then maybe he'll be up by midseason. But I'm just not – I mean, it's just – it's one of those things that's hard to predict. But I imagine we'll see him in 2021. And then next year when the Red Sox are probably more in line to compete for a division title, I assume he's competing for the job out of the gate. I think it just – that that's going to match up with their timeline best. And I think he and – I wonder if, I wonder if he and Duran will be on a similar – path in that sense um the red sox signed some very versatile guys this past winter with uh, marwin gonzalez and kike hernandez who can both play you know infield and outfield positions so their lineup is super flexible right now so they almost like they really don't have a whole but a super need for these guys to come up right now they've got you know quality major leaguers who they can plug in and they're hitting, even last year, their hitting was still very good. I mean, you look, they still had Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts and Chady Martinez in the lineup. <laughs> they had a very quality, you know, batting order. It was the, it was the pitching that was really their, their downfall. And I think we'll see that. It'll be a similar year for them this time. So, yeah, for, for downs, I imagine we'll see him. They're probably going to want to get his feet wet this year so that he's seen major league pitching and then come, can come back next year feeling comfortable competing from the start. And, you know, I think he ends up as like a, a, a top of the order type hitter who ha- hits for a solid average and hit, hits for some power and plays some good defense up the middle. So pretty high quality player right there. Yeah, definitely a big fan of downs. Um, amazing name as well. 80 grade name for me. <laughs> yeah. I, that was, I mean, that was the first thing I, I, when I was just, you know, checking out players several years ago, I was like, this is not an accident. This kid's name is Jeter. I'm going to look a little deeper. And uh, he had yet to really unlock that pull side power then. And, you know, that was enough for me to throw a late round flyer on him and trade him to one of my Yankee fan friends. He's now regretting that because he is a Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what can you do when you are dealing prospects? These things happen. So, well, yeah. And then I was curious to uh, hear your thoughts. And I, I also just, you know, is this the first time that you've really been able to be down at spring and really be, you know, checking out players in this sort of extended way? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been at spring before I actually lived in Florida a couple of years ago for a year and got my first taste of spring training. But actually the last time I lived here, I wasn't doing any baseball writing. I was taking a break from all of my writing. Um, so I was just purely a fan, you know, getting some autographs, taking in a quite a few games, having a grand old time. This past year is when I really started pursuing like learning how to 
scout and like evaluate players visually. Um, so this is this will be my first time really getting to games and seeing guys and you know writing up an evaluation on the spot, so to speak, taking notes and watching the game in a different way. I would say like watching with much more intent than I used to. So it's really exciting for me. And you know, I, I was able to get to a couple of games this past week, but my vantage point wasn't exactly ideal. Um, for those who don't know, the spring games are social, I guess they're socially distanced um, seating charts essentially, which to be honest, I love because I can, it, it's the most comfortable I've ever been in a game because nobody sits near me. I have so much space, it's wonderful. <laughs> and I, which is nice because I feel very safe. I can sit there with my mask, I don't have to move. I'm posted up with my camera, nobody's around me, nobody's really like in my way. So it's, for me, it's wonderful. I really enjoy it. It's a little expensive, but yeah, it was, it was a great time. And so I'm hoping to get to a few more games um, before spring ends. We'll see. Um, depends on prices and things like that for me. But as uh, I guess as my schedule opens up here, I'll be hitting more college games and um, junior college games and stuff and getting to see those. And then when minor league baseball finally rolls around, um, I'll have a low A team right here in at Hammond Stadium. It'll be the Fort Myers Mighty Muscles, who are formerly the Fort Myers Miracle. And so I'll be able to get to a bunch of those games as well. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, really cutting my teeth here with the, uh, the scouting in person. So, yeah, I'm pumped about that. I'm very jealous. I'll be all minor league baseball television because all of my all of my minor league teams were taken away from me and turned into an independent league and I hope that goes well. And I, I'm sure I'll get to some of those games, but obviously it's a little bit different than, than affiliated ball. And I guess I'm just sort of, you know, when you're watching these games now, you're watching with intent. What exactly are you really looking for, you know, and what are you, do you go with sort of a, a plan of attack in terms of what you're trying to watch or do you go as open-minded as possible so that, you know, the, the thing that you weren't necessarily expecting to get eyes on can, you know, can sink in. And I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, guys that have great stat lines or don't, and you're looking and you, you see something in the report, you know, and, and you've, you've read about or whatever it is that you're trying to, to sort of uncover, you know, what, when you say you're watching with intent, what does that mean for you for certain players? And what does that mean when you're, when you're, sort of going to the ballpark specifically about some guys you're, you're trying to key, key in on? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Because um, I would say before I was just kind of watching the game to watch the game, if that makes any sense. I'm just watching oh, yeah. to see what, the, we'll see what the outcome is and whatnot and not, not really paying super attention. And now I would say I am watching to like see the process. I want to see the how. I want to see how the strikeout is made. You know, I want to see the sequencing of the pitches for hitters. I want to see like how they handle velocity. I want to see how they react to pitches that are close to the strike zone, but aren't strikes. And so I'm really just trying to watch like the total game and, and really kind of feel out the details there. When I go to watch a guy and I, I guess I can't really speak for in person yet, but when I've been scouting like games on video, I try to do. I try to come in with both an open mind to like not have a pre, I don't want to prejudge a guy. 
Um, but sometimes like, I mean, Hey, we've been doing this baseball thing for a little bit. And so like, I have some preconceived notions about like, Hey, Mike Trout is a good baseball player, you know? <laughs> so yeah. it's hard to, you can't really come in with a blank slate for a lot of these guys. Cause I mean, for us prospect towns and dynasty players, like you just have a good idea about a lot of these guys, whether you've read scouting reports or looked at the stats and things like that. So I try to be open-minded, but with have an idea of what I'm looking for. Like with Dahlbeck, I want to see like, well, how do, why does he strike out so much? Is it that he just can't hit the ball? Does he swing at everything? Or is it, you know, is he too patient? Is he taking a lot of called third strikes when he should be trying to fight that off? Um, does he have poor barrel control? Are guys throwing fastballs by him in the zone, just ripping it by him? Um, so I, I'm trying to look for things like that. I want to see the how and the why. It reminds me a lot. This whole process reminds me a lot of learning how to do math growing up. And when I would guess the answer, it would be right. And the teacher would be like, it doesn't matter that you got the right answer. I want to see how you got it. And all I wanted was to get the right answer and get out of there. Now I'm much more focused on the process. And it makes a lot more sense to me now than it did when I was like, I don't know, 10, 12 years old. <laughs> yeah. But you're forced yeah. to show your work, as they say. Yes. Show yeah. your work. So yeah. I want to see these guys show their work. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a good way to say it. That's a good way to say it. And to, uh, to that end, there's a prospect out there that you have been trumpeting and you have been, you know, behind. And he recently hit a lovely home run in spring training. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one where you, you would maybe overlook him, not only because, you know, he's a brewer and you don't, it's not one where we think of that organization being super strong right now. So their top prospect might not have the appeal of say the Dodgers top prospect or the Tigers top prospect. And uh, that's Bryce Terang. And I just am curious, you know, he's, he's a guy that I would have, you know, without going deeper, without watching, without trying to, you know, check out the devil in the details, I would have glossed over a little bit and just sort of poo-pooed on. And so, you know, what, uh, you know, what, what have you seen in, in Turan that you like both recently and in the past that is, is maybe coming to fruition in the near future? Yeah. Turan's a guy I really like. He's, he's, I would say similar to Duran in the sense that like what, limits his power is just the approach or formerly limited Durant's power is the approach at the plate and not the skill set. So I think that Bryce Terang creates very, he creates like above average bat speed. He's a strong dude. He rotates well. He's not like, you know, burly or anything, but he's, he's baseball strong and athletic. He gets a bat through the, through the zone quickly. Um, but what was really kind of holding back, so to speak, the power is that he is a guy when he was, you know, in the lower minors was just shooting the ball the other way in, into the, like the left center field gap or like down the line. So he's not really like sitting there trying to drive the ball. He's just putting it in play. He's hitting, you know, smoking some line drives um, and then just running and legging out doubles and triples because he can fly too. He's, he's a very good runner and you see him and it's no surprise. Like you're like that. Hey, that's a pretty athletic too. So I thought that he had, he's, he's very patient um, and a very good, control a strike zone he'll walk it like a decent amount because of that and he, he doesn't really i didn't think he swung and missed that much i really like this hit tool i think i put a five on it uh, might even be a 55 but i thought he did a very good job of getting the bat to the ball he just wasn't attacking it trying to like lift and pull 
So as you saw with the home run the other day, that's exactly what he did. And he showed like, yo, he's, there's some raw power in there that might, I mean, it might be upwards, you know, of a 55 or a six. So I think the power is there. And it's all about learning how to bring that out in the game. You know, it's, it's easy in BP when the ball is just grooved in there, right? Where you know, you know, it's coming, you know what it is. It's something you're comfortable with. It's much harder when the dude, hits you with 93 and you kind of thought a curveball might've been coming, you know, it's harder to, to square that up. And so if he's able to, I mean, we've already seen it. He's patient enough and he, he knows the strike zone. Well, I think if he just looks to drive the ball, you know, to the pole side and you know, get it in the air a little bit more, instead of um, sitting back, letting the ball get deep and just shooting it to the left center field gap. Um, I think we'll see the power numbers jump and it won't be because like, oh my God, Bryce Trang all of a sudden put on 40 pounds of muscle. It's just like, no, he's already strong. He's just looking to, he's looking to do damage a little bit more in a different way. It reminds me a little bit. I recently um, was reading about the Pirates, shocker. And uh, I was, I was checking out, you know, cause I, I love Cabrian Hayes, but obviously I'm worried about what we saw in that short little stint at the end of last year, which was magical is just not, anywhere close to reality of what we can expect and reading reports about, you know, him changing his approach a little bit and his approach in the, not in the sense of pitches to attack or, you know, he was still generally looking for the same things and looking to swing at the same baseballs. But what he, he literally was just like, no, I'm going to prioritize hard contact. I'm going to be swinging harder at these balls that I'm attacking and I'm not going to be, laying back and being satisfied with the single and the double, I'm really going to be consciously trying to inflict damage. And with his inherent contact abilities that, you know, we may have seen the fruits of that a little bit last year, that sort of mental change in approach in terms of what he's trying to do. And that's, you know, that's also something that we may have been able to see in the minor leagues last year, if that was something he had tried to, to change and create but we obviously didn't get a chance because there was no games. It was all alternate training site stuff. So, you know, a, the, a change in approach can happen. It seems like it can happen in a million different ways, some tangible, some totally unknown that can make you question sort of what you're seeing in a lot of ways. Uh, but that's, that is why I like to, you know, I look, I look at Ronald Acuna's minor league stats and I look at Francisco Lindor's minor league stats and those guys turned into 35 to 40 home run hitters. And it's not something that, you know, that at some point a jump just comes out of quote unquote nowhere, but obviously it's not. And it, it does seem like, you know, maybe Terang, I don't think he's going to hit 40 home runs necessarily, but you know, it does seem like Terang, we could be seeing something similar there. We could be seeing, you know, an inherent skill set that just needed a tiny little tweak or frankly, just more seasoning to sort of come out. And it's really hard to, you know, those are the things you have to try to stay on top of. And those are the things that the stat line are going to really obscure. Yeah. I, I, I think I blacked out a little bit there and said he might get to a six power tool. That's not, he's probably going to get to a five power tool. Six, <laughs> six, is, six, six is quite of a jump. Yeah. Six, maybe, like not six, quite, probably not quite that much. I just get excited about Bryce Trang, you know, man. <laughs> hey man, that's, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for that. I'm here to soak it all in. Yeah. I mean, to that point though, I'm curious what your, what your take is on this. What do you actually do with raw power? Because I don't know what to do with it as, as a, 
as a tool, right? If I'm taking all of these grades that I get from places and I'm thinking, you know, what I'm really thinking about is I'm thinking about J2 kids, J15, what have you. I'm thinking about, you know, you see some raw power numbers attached to 17, 18 year old kids who definitely have it, you know, Bayron Laura or whatever, you know, the, that, that type of hitter. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't know how to think about raw power. And it's something that I try to almost avoid because it's tantalizing, but there's so much, I mean, the, the road to the major leagues is paved with 70 grade raw power guys who never <laughs> amounted to anything. Right. I mean, they just, it's the bricks. So I guess, what do you do with raw power? And like, how do you use that, that grade to, to inform your perspective on a prospect? Yeah. So I try to think of raw power as just like the, the potential, like power ceiling here. And then, so I try to get a feel for what that is. Um, and a good way to do that is you watch batting practice and you see like, hey, when this dude is selling out for power, how far and hard can he hit the ball? And then once you kind of have a good feel for that, I like, you know, work the hit tool into that and say like, okay, well, if this is what his absolute peak is with the raw power, what does that look like when we put him in a game situation and factor in, you know, how, A, like how well he gets the bat to the ball and makes quality contact, like how often can he barrel it up? So that's like, you know, a good, like Bobby Dahlbeck question, like, how often is he swinging and missing versus how often is he really connecting there? Um, and then you take the, the approach into it as well. So you're looking at like a, like Duran and, and Terang and you're like, ah, this dude has like some power in his body. He's strong and he's athletic and he's quick, but he hits the ball on the ground and I've never seen a ground ball go for a home run. <laughs> and so that really like that approach can really limit you. So you can, you'll see some guys with like, you know, this dude's got like 55 raw power, but like for, you know, on Terang's report, um, I put, I, I put a four on his game power because he's like, well, this dude just kind of shoots liners to left field. Like it's really going to be tough for, you know, he, he's not going to hit a lot of home runs doing that. Um, so raw power is just that nice. It's the baseline of like, all right, if everything, if every pitch was a batting practice fastball, how many home runs would he have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's, that's sort of how you have to think about it, I guess. It's always just something that I look at the game power and I try to be like, okay, well, that's what we're, that's what I'm trying, you know, that's what I can do something with the raw power. I don't know. Raw yeah. power is maybe something that I'll definitely use to sell another guy on a prospect that I might be worried <laughs> about that hit tool materializing type of thing. Like, Oh, 80 grade raw power, dude. Um, so yeah, that's, I just, I was just curious as your perspective, as you've been diving in a lot deeper on, uh, on hitting and, and prospecting in general. And I guess to that end, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, I feel like I have to ask everyone up until we get the season. Where are you at right now on uh, our boy Wander Franco? Are you, what do you, how do you feel about his future? Is he your number one prospect? What his, what does his profile look like? You know, there's, he's, he's up and down. I think uh, there was a great tweet by Chris Blessing the other day, which was Wanda Franco went from underrated to overrated, like super quick. Uh, and I could have that, I could have that flip-flop, but it would the, basically the exact same sentiment would apply. You know, where are you, where are you at on Wanda right now? Personally, I know you got some eyes on him. I saw some great photos you snapped on Twitter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So this is the worst thing about the, uh, my trip to the, the Sox race game the other days. So my camera, so obviously you're, you're sitting behind a net. 
and I was down past first phase and my, but my camera was working beautifully. Um, I got some great still shots and, and some video and it was awesome. And then Wander came up against the lefty. So he's hitting open face for me because I was sitting on the uh, first base side and the camera couldn't see past the net. <laughs> and it was, I about lost my mind. It was incredibly unfortunate. And of course, by the time he came back up and was hitting lefty and was back two to me, the camera was working fine. The only, it, was, he, it was the only hitter that I had an issue with the camera with all day. So that was incredibly unfortunate. But I did get to see it with my eyes. And he just, it's, it's almost hard to overstate just how kind of cool he is in the batter's box. And his swing just looks so natural and effortless. But when he hits the ball, it stings it. So he hit a couple of like just line drive singles in the, in the game that I saw. And you can just kind of tell like he, he fights off pitches and he finds something he likes. And he just, it's almost like he just drops the barrel on it. No matter where the pitch is in the zone, it's just like he just slaps the barrel on it and it, he shoots a nice line drive um, into the outfield. And so he's just a great, he's, I mean, I don't want to call him a great hitter, you know, but like you, you watch him and you're like, wow, this dude can really hit. And it's just, it's just something that's like, obviously just seems like a natural to him. As far as like a, like a, you want to talk about like his major league outcome or what I think that is? Yeah. What does that look like? I mean, the guy is probably seven or eight hit. Um, so like he, he's going to be dude who I think flirts with, you know, hitting 300 these days. It's probably like more of a 280 to 280 to 300 is like top of the scale. Um, so I, he's going to be one of those dudes. And I think it's, it's hard to say, like, so I think we've seen like the talk from this winter and, and it's continued into the spring as people are concerned about his ability to like lift the ball in the game. And I think that's very, that's obviously a very valid thing. You know, like we talked about, you can't, you can't hit home runs on ground balls. So if you're driving the ball, you know, into the dirt, it's just not going to work. I do think he'll probably end up at, at least like a 15 to 20 home run guy. But with somebody with like bats of ball skills like his, it wouldn't be surprised me if just he flipped a switch and then all of a sudden he was shooting the ball out with like an average launch angle between like 10 and 20. So I, I do think that like the potential, I mean, he's, he's strong. If you see like check, not to promote myself here, but like look at the pictures I posted of him. Like he's a very well-built dude. Like he is strong. Uh, the power is there for him to do damage. Um, he's he's, he's going to be an offensive force. It just kind of depends on what kind of force he wants to be, so to speak. How much does he want to sell out for power? Uh, how much does he want to lift the ball? But he's, I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And then he's, he's an up the middle defender. You know, he's, he's a, he's athletic dude. He's quick, um, builds his position. Well, the, the arm is decent. So he's, he's going to play. <laughs> Oh, he'll play. Do you think that the, you know, what do you think the speed looks like the output for speed looks like for him at the major league level? You know, are you thinking that's, you thinking five to 10, 10 to 15, you know, is he going to have a couple 20 seasons or is that something that he's just, you know, that that was a part of his minor league profile that might not be a part of his major league profile. I, I think the, like the, the raw speed and, and base stealing ability is there for 20 bags. I have, I struggle to project like what guys are going to do at the major league level, just because we see like the speed, like the, just the team philosophy changed so much from manager to manager and even year to year with the same manager. So like looking at like the card and it, it's tough to look at last year because so uh, for those who don't know, I watch a lot of Cardinals baseball 
And in 2019, they ran a lot. And then in 2020, with a very similar roster, they didn't run at all. But when you like, they also had, you know, two weeks of about with COVID where like a lot of regulars didn't play, like they didn't play for two weeks. And then, you know, you had guys coming back. And so it's hard to say like, well, was that just because of the COVID stint that they stopped running or like, was that a, just a managerial change? Cause they didn't like the way things were going. So it's tough for me to, I, I, I have a hard time projecting like what guys are going to do when they get to the majors, but I do believe his speed is enough for him to steal 20 bases if he's quote unquote allowed to. Right. Yeah. That's year is definitely weird when it comes to that. Maybe the Cardinals were just like, Hey, we're not, you know, we got expanded playoffs. This division is weak and, and you know, we, we, we want to limit injuries because we've already had to deal with all this COVID nonsense. So maybe we're just not running. And yeah, that's, it's definitely real hard to, obviously it's hard to, you know, the, the types trying to think your way around all of the variables when it comes to predicting output for one player. And then you add in last year's stats, which either you can throw out, you can get drunk on, you can, you know, like it's, it can go so many ways when you, you know, whatever you want to do with, with last year's stats, you, there's a narrative you can file, you can follow. Well, yeah, I, uh, I think I, I, I just can't wait to see what Wander does at Wander does at the major league level. Cause I do, the thing that I'm sort of holding out for is that, that switch that you talked about that he could flip and just this idea that, you know, maybe the major league level challenges him in a way, or he matures as a person and a player and picks a profile that he wants to shoot for. And, you know, that sort of focus really crystallizes what he's able to do in a way that we haven't seen with him just sort of being better than everyone he's playing against as, you know, two or three years younger than them. So, yeah. And I, I want to say he's sort of more than I've heard the Nick Madrigal with power thing being tossed around recently type of thing. And I don't know, I, I guess he seems like the rare type of player that can choose their path in a way that is not open to a lot of guys. A lot of guys are working within the skill sets they have. And, you know, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's really, it's just, it's all, it's all, like you said, it's fine. This guy, it's a lot of fun to, to think about. I hope he, I hope he becomes the greatest. I hope he makes Mike Trout look bad at baseball. That's what I hope. I don't think that's going to happen. I want to go on record. Wouldn't that be amazing to watch to go ah. from Mike Trout? And then if like, you know, say Wander Franco reaches a 99th percentile outcome here, it would just be like, <laughs> What yeah. a time to be alive is what I would say. It would. Yeah. I mean, it, would it would be so great to see how MLB failed to market that too. That'd be my favorite thing. <laughs> that would just be a peach. Um, but yeah, man, I, uh, I, I want to make sure that, you know, people know, uh, people know where to find you. Where, where can we find your amazing uh, photographs and, and your, your tweets and your TGFBI team on, on the Twitter? Oh, yeah. I actually just posted my TGFBI team, which is funny. But yeah, you can find me at J Drake, uh, my last name, D-R-A-K-E, 349. And on Instagram as well, I try to post a little bit more, like more pictures on there. And you can see some cool Florida sunsets too now. <laughs> I can't look at those yet. I can't, I can't go down that. I can't, you can't, you can't feed me that, Joe. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all right. We have okay weather out here in Colorado. Well, with all that said, you can find you can find Joe Drake at the Twitter. You can find him at Prospects Live, writing amazing articles, doing serious research, 
he definitely just came out with an article on Keston Hira that I really encourage you all to go check out. It goes really, really deep on, you know, maybe why Keston Hira wasn't great last year and why he, you know, was maybe fantastic when he debuted and how pitching changed him and how he needs to change back. So that's all I'll say about that. But go to Prospects Live, check out his work. It's really good stuff. And, but before I let you go, we do have to play a little Prospect Survivor. I am curious. And we're thinking fantasy. We're thinking fantasy right now. And if you want to answer also in real life, I will take that. I will take both answers. Okay. But I, I'm going to give you three names, and they're all upper tier, upper echelon names. But I just want to see where you go. So the, the rules, you have to vote someone off the island, essentially. You okay. have to snuff the torch of one of these amazing players and go to the finals with the other two. So we're going to start out big, Wander Franco. We're starting out huge. Why not? And number two, number two, who just hit a 484-foot home run in spring training, Bobby Witt Jr. And then number three, Marco Luciano, who is the fabled 60-hit, 70-power type of guy, probably going to stick in the dirt. These are, I mean, you got, you know, these are, these are the, this is the, this is the creme de la creme. supposed to choose between these guys? Jeez. That's why it's horrible. <laughs> That's why it's a terrible game. That's true. You got me there. You got me, man, man. So I'm definitely keeping Wander. I think that's that's the easy one out. But uh, man, choosing between Bobby Witt and Marco Luciano is really tough. Um, jeez. So I'm, I'm trying to just think. Like I think the hit tool is the biggest question with with Bobby Witt, and we didn't. It's it's really hard because we didn't get to see him play last year, and yeah. so that's. That's really what I was like, you know, how did he fare against in, in his like, against pro pitching and whatnot? I think that I would have to cut out. Oh man, I'm having such a hard time choosing here. I'm I'm going to keep Witt and cut Luciano because I like the fact that he can stay up the middle. That may come back to bite me if Bobby Witt doesn't hit for average. And it might look so awful and even as soon as like one year from now, depending on how Luciano works. But man, that is that is so tough. Talk about splitting hairs. Yep. That's um, what I'm I'm yeah. here to create those choices for you. I mean, that's that's what prospect survivor is all about. If it wasn't, you know, if it, there wasn't a little anguish, it uh it, I don't know. There's plenty it, it, of it, anguish. Yeah. If the, <laughs> if the juice would not be worth the squeeze if there wasn't some anguish. Um, and yeah, we can we can put this pod in the annals of history. Joe Drake saying Marco Luciano, not very good at baseball. Just want to make sure that is known and recorded for the robots that will eventually find an iced over planet in several hundred years. So, yeah, man, uh, that is that's pretty much all I got. I. Uh, want to thank you for for coming on and and staying up late with me on the east coast while you uh dream about other baseball games to to see in person while i watch whatever mlb tv you know drips out to me <laughs> hey you might have uh, some amateur games coming your way soon that would be nice yeah that would be nice and I can always, baseball. yeah i can always check out the college which has been a lot of fun so also true yeah that's very good but again joe is over at prospects live and this is the On the Farm Podcast for Pitcher List on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. And uh, yeah, for, uh, for Joe Drake, I'm Kyle Brown. Thanks for hanging out, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yep. See you.